So good morning, everybody. Uh, as um, James has just said, uh, two things. One is the start of the Easter holidays, and so uh, uh, everybody scatters to the four winds in, in the life of Jubilee Church, which is to do to the fact with the fact that so many of us come from other places, and so uh, often we'll, we'll disappear off back to family. Uh, but well done for the remnant for staying. Um, you're, uh, you're, we will be mightily blessed as a result of your deep uh, commitment. GX is nodding. Yes, I'll have that. <laughs> So we're finishing off today uh, the, sur- the, the, the short series that we've been running, which has been based on uh, Joshua. And uh, for those of you that have already realized, uh, looked up, Joshua 18 is only about halfway through the book. Uh, nevertheless, we're finishing today. Um, and uh, we're going to, I, I want to just get you back to where we are. So at this point, if you remember at the beginning of the book, uh, Joshua was about to take uh, the people of Israel into the promised land. They would cross the Jordan and go into to the promised land. And uh, at this stage of the story, Israel itself is now kind of under their control, but it's a long, long way from being uh, fully subdued. But what happens is they get to a place called Shiloh, and at Shiloh, they, they, they bring the tabernacle. If you remember, the tabernacle is the place where God himself dwells. And they bring the tabernacle, and they set it up at Shiloh, in, at Shiloh as a kind of semi-permanent home for it now. No longer just wandering around there at Shiloh. So they've got the tabernacle. God is amongst them, therefore. Uh, the presence of God is with them. And then we can pick up uh, verses, 18, uh, verses 1 to 10 of chapter 18 from that point. So I'm just going to read uh, to you what's going on. It says that... Uh, it says, therefore, so now the land that was, un- the land was under Israelite control, uh, the entire community of Israel gathered at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle. I've just told you that. But there remained seven tribes who had not yet been allocated their grants of land. And Joshua asked them, how long are you going to wait before taking possession of the remaining land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given to you? It's like a rebuke, really. How long? How long are you going to wait? A bit like kind of, you know, if you have to ever have to wait for your children to get ready or someone in your house cold to get ready to go out. How long have I got to wait? How long are you going to wait? So he carries on, verse 4. Select then three men from each tribe, and I will send them out to explore the land and to map it out. They will then return to me with a written report of their proposed divisions of their new homeland. Let them divide the land then into seven sections, excluding Judah's territory to the south, which is the blue stripy bit at the bottom of the map there. And Joseph's territory in the north. And when you record the seven divisions of the land and bring them to me, I will cast sacred lots in the presence of the Lord, our God, to assign land to each tribe. So therefore, what's happened is that they've come together, they've been told, go out and uh, look at this land, map it out, divide it out, and when you come back, we'll, we'll, um, we'll assign the land to them. Then it carries on. The Levites, however, will not, uh, will not receive any allotment of land. Their role as priests of the Lord is their allotment. Uh, so, and the, so the Levites don't get any land, basically. They live off the tithes of the people. 
And the tribes of Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they won't receive any more land, for they have already received their grant of land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them on the east side of the River Jordan. So that stuff just down on the left, if you've got the blue, big blue sea there, the stuff on the left, Reuben, then Gad, and then east Manasseh, the, the kind of greeny, pinky, greeny bits. They've already got that, because that's the other side of the Jordan, that's on the east of the Jordan. And as the men started on their way to map out the land, Joshua commands them. And he says, go and explore the land and write a description of it. Then return to me and I will assign the land to the tribes by casting sacred lots here in the presence of the Lord at Shiloh. At Shiloh, big So they went as they're told. Uh, and they mapped the entire territory into seven sections, listing the towns in each section. And they made a written record and then returned to Joshua in the camp at Shiloh. And there at Shiloh, Joshua cast sacred lots in the presence of the Lord to determine which tribe should have which section. So there we are. If you just go on to the next map, uh, slide for me. So there we are. That's what the map looked like before they went out. They knew some of, the pe- some of the land that was given, and there was these big bits that they hadn't yet mapped out. So they took their map, and they took their book, and off they went to find out what, what's left, where is it, where should the boundaries be. Uh, the two and a half tribes on the east already had their lands, the Ledites had none, and the seven, seven other tribes haven't yet got their land. And Joshua rebukes them for being lazy, basically. How long? How long is this going to be? So they go out, three from each tribe, and they walk around those white bits, and they find out what's going on, and they map it out, and they draw it in their book. And then they come back to the presence of God at Shiloh. So they come back to Shiloh in front of where God is, and then they draw lots out, and... uh, and, and then they find which bit they've got. So by this stage, their map now looks like this. But there we are. You see, they've drawn it. They've given it. They've allocated it out to the seven tribes. Lovely. And they've written it down in their book. The problem is, on the ground, they didn't actually do what they were supposed to do. So if you flick into, if you've got Bibles... If you've got Bibles, if it, there's a book in the Bible called Judges, <laughs> which comes after Joshua, not because it's alphabetical, <laughs> but because that's the way it goes. And in the book of Judges, in chapter 1, and if you pick up just briefly, none of you are going to, but I will tell you, uh, verse 27, it says, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants. Then 29, Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Verse 30, Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants. Verse 31, Asher did not drive out the inhabitants. 33, Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants. Verse 34, Dan didn't drive out. So all you see is that they've got a map, but they don't do what they're supposed to do. They don't actually drive out the inhabitants, which they were supposed to be doing. So they never fully get all that they are Uh, that they were supposed to do. This generation, this Joshua generation that had gone in and seen so many miracles, so much, but don't actually fully fulfill what they were called to do. Even though Joshua had said to them, how long is this going to take, guys? 
how long? God comes, God's... Pr-, and that doesn't do it. So, what a, what's happening is this, I think, at this point. God has given them everything that they needed to uh, live happy and prosperous lives. If you're a new kingdom, if you're a new nation, uh, you come in, what do you have? God gives you everything, gave them everything they needed. They had good and fertile land. They could grow their crops. They had great laws to live by. If they followed their laws, they would be the most amazing, loving, caring society you could ever meet. They were in the most righteous society you could ever meet. They even have the presence of God himself with them. They want for nothing. Their creator himself even lives with them. All they had to do was to work together. But they didn't. It looked good on the map. It looked great in their book. But they didn't drive out the inhabitants. They somehow became lazy. They somehow became comfortable. They took shortcuts. They simply weren't careful to do all that the Lord had commanded them. And this ultimately becomes their problem throughout the rest of time. God had given them very specific instructions. He'd given them everything they needed, but they didn't do all that the Lord commanded them to. They had a promise. The promise was that they would build the kingdom of God here on earth. It was an amazing promise. You're going to be the society and the nation that the whole world, indeed the whole universe, will look to and say, wow, if only we could live like that. They had the promise that God himself would be present amongst them. After the land was allocated, after they'd drawn their pretty map and written down all the towns or whatever it was, each tri- for each tribe, they had an objective. We've got an objective. Each tribe, they've got an objective. They had the promises of God. I will drive them out before you. I will be with you. I will make things happen. They had the presence of God. They had even the directions of God. Work with your fellow tribes, clear the land, live in the land following God's ways, establish the kingdom of God amongst yourselves. Don't compromise. I had it all. But they didn't fulfill the purposes of God. And I think the warning for us today that you can see from this story is really quite simple. You can miss the purposes of God by not doing all that he asks. We live in a a, a grace culture and that's really good because we understand that if you fall, if you fail, if it doesn't, God will be with you. God will pick you up. He will hold you. He will love you. He will run after you to use some of the kind of contemporary singing uh, songs that is going. We live in a grace culture But because we live in a grace culture, we forget that actually you can miss the purposes of God. You can miss the purposes of God by not doing all that he asks you to do. And as a church, we could miss the purposes of God. We've got a similar calling. 
if you think about it. What's that calling? It's to build the kingdom of God here on earth, in this city, at this time, for this generation, that this generation would see the kingdom of God, what it is to be a, live in a godly kingdom. That's our calling. It's to establish not just a nice group of people who can sing and wave their flags because it's Palm Sunday. It's to establish the King of God, kingdom of God. We've got that. We've even got a map, haven't we? Look, look, look at that map. We've got a map. Jubilee Church got a map. There it is. Look, there we are. Spoke, 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 hubs and spokes. There we are. We're going to plant sites in different parts of the city. We're going to have the city central one, which will be red, which is great. And then there'll be some other stuff going. We've got a map. Each site, in that sense, is like the tribes of Israel. We're going we're to reach into the area. We're going to demonstrate the kingdom of God amongst uh, this site, this area, and this area, and this area in the city, so that the whole city gets to see something of what it is to be in the kingdom of God. The whole city was, wow, I want to be part of the kingdom of the God. But we can miss it. We can miss it. God had given them everything they needed. And we have everything we need. We have everything we need to live godly lives. We have everything we need to build the kingdom of God here in this city. We have a commission. We have, a, we have promises. We have... Um, uh, um, uh, uh, all that we need, we simply need to establish the kingdom of God here on earth. Not just salvation. Salvation is only the entry point. We're not just about saying, let's get some people in the meeting and get them to put their hands up or come to the front. It's not just about that. Although obviously that is a part of it. But it's also about living and demonstrating the kingdom of God. Therefore, we should expect the kingdom of God to be working and active amongst us. The Jesus the King to be active amongst us. We should expect miracles. We should expect breakthrough. We should be able to uh, expect to escape the corruption of this world. So the question comes then, well, how? How do we do that? What is that? What, what, that's fine, Andrew, love that. Sounds great. How do we do it? Well, I think that we need to respond to God's promises. I think we need to learn again to, to love God and, and love each other. And to work that out. We need actually to, to work hard to fulfill the call that we have on us as a church and therefore on our lives. So that ultimately we will hear the call of heaven. Well done. Well done. I don't know, I don't want to hear a you missed it. 
I want to hear a well done. I want to give my life, not to, you missed it, but I hope it was fine, all the stuff that you did, but I've burned it up. I want to hear a well done. Well done. So if you go to, uh, to Peter, you get, I think, what encapsulates this whole sense of instruction to the church. It says, I might use it, read the screen from there, actually. Peter says this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need. We've got everything we need. I highlighted it there in case you missed it. He's given you everything. Everything we need, what for? For living a godly life. Oh. Oh, I can live a godly life now because he's given me everything I need to do it. I don't need to wait for something else. We've got it. We've received all of this by coming to know him, that's Jesus, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvellous glory and excellence. How did you get everything you need? You need it by coming to know Jesus, by coming in repentance to him. And because of his glory and his excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. Do you believe God has given us great and precious promises? Well, he's given it to us because of his excellence. And these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. You want to escape the world's corruption caused by human desires? Well, you do it by sharing in his divine nature, which he's enabled you to do. Uh, go on to the next thing. In view of all this, therefore, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. How many of you supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence? Do you do that? Do you do, are you generously providing for yourself with moral excellence? Are you supplementing your faith? Say, oh, do you know what? I'm going to be morally excellent this morning. I'm not going to be unmorally excellent. I'm going to be morally excellent. I'm not going to be averagely morally. I'm going to be morally excellent this morning. That's what I'm going to do because I've got faith. And then when you've got your moral excellence, uh, supplement it with uh, knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. So let's just stop there for a moment and think about this. Okay, so if you go right the way back to uh, Adam and Eve... Eve's being tempted with, a, with, a, with a, um, some fruit. And what's happening is that um, she should have had moral excellence. She should have had knowledge of God, of who he is. And using those two things together, I know who God is, I know what's right, I know what's wrong, I am morally excellent because I've supplemented it with my faith, I can now exercise self-control. 